Today, we're starting a new series of sermons simply called cross-training. Cross-training is, is sort of a new exercise concept that's becoming more and more popular. Uh, you know, if, if you train for a particular sport in your life, there are certain activities, there are certain muscle groups that you want to exercise because they are important to the game that you're playing. But cross-training is a broader, more holistic approach of exercising so that you're capable and able to do more than just one sport. Cross-training, whether for sports or fitness, refers to combining of exercises that ultimately makes you stronger. Now, shoe companies have capitalized on all of this. Honestly, it's pretty confusing to me anymore. When I was a kid, you got what was generically called a tennis shoe for, for the summer, and if you were really lucky, it was either Red Ball Jets or PF Flyers. I don't know how many of you remember those, okay? So a lot of times you didn't get those, but that was the goal in, in mind. Today, however, there are specific shoes. If you want to walk, you buy a shoe. If you want to jog, you buy a different kind of shoe. If you want to run, you buy a third different kind of shoe. If you want to hike, it's a different kind of, of a boot. There are a variety of court shoes basketball, volleyball, tennis, and more. Track and field shoes cover everything from uh, golf to football to, uh, to baseball and, and everything in between. And then, of course, there is a shoe specifically marketed for the cross trainer. Now, you could easily spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on all these different shoes that you have in your closet, and, and, and if, you, if that's helpful to you, so be it. But it's not having the shoes that make the difference. It's having the training that makes the difference. You see, the soul, our soul, our spirit needs training as well. The Christian is always in cross training, learning to be a better follower of Jesus Christ, learning to be a better disciple, learning how to take up our cross and follow him. Now, I got to tell you, that doesn't happen naturally. It takes a sense of devotion, commitment to the cause, and a daily training to be at our best. Now, thankfully, you don't need a closet full of shoes to be able to pull that off. But don't be misled. It's not easy. It's costly in time and energy. And it is enduring. So in the spirit of exercise and training regimens over the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at the five steps to a stronger faith. We're going to do some cross-training as a congregation. And step one is this, eat healthy. Now, I don't know how you feel, but for me, diet is a four-letter word. Bad cholesterol is an ever-present villain and good cholesterol is usually AWOL. And though refined flour and sugar come dressed in white, <laughs> they are not the good guys. Too much salt, and I do enjoy my salt, is also a no-no. My grandmother used to caution me all the time about eating too much salt. But she only lived to be 100, so I'm still not sure that her advice... <laughs> Uh, was accurate. 
that, you know, I find myself sometimes, just, I just want to enjoy the meal. I don't want to be thinking about, is this healthy, is it not? Yet, you know, we worry about everything. I just want to enjoy the meal. Do you understand what I'm saying? When, when God finished his creation, he looked at it and he said, behold, it is very good, and I'm sure that included pie. So... <laughs> We look at this healthy eating stuff with sometimes a, a, a bit of chagrin. But the truth is, the truth is, we need to eat healthy. And, and if you do it right and you are creative enough, it doesn't have to be boring or disappointing. And the bottom line is this, for some of us in this room, at some stage in our lives, we may have to change our diets to survive. Eating right may become a life or death situation. What's true of physical food is even truer of spiritual food. Junk food like cotton candy theology, which is all fluff and sweet but provides no spiritual nourishment, has to be off the list. What we need is real food for the soul. And I will tell you this. Eating well spiritually is a matter of life and death. I'm going to take you to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 11 through 14 this morning as, as a way of just introducing this whole concept. And the writer of Hebrews uh, has been talking about important things in the Christian life, and he comes to verse 11, and he makes this observation. He says, we have much more to say about this. But it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths. And the word elementary there means the very basics. In the concept of grammar, the elementary things are, are, are as simple as the ABCs. The elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk still being an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want a healthy relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then here is some wise advice from the book of Hebrews. We're going to build on this simple theme, and here's the first part. Be eager to learn. Be eager to learn. Sometimes I look at, the, look at us in the, in the 21st century church, and I wish we were a little bit more or a lot more like our first century counterparts because they seem to be so committed and so devoted and so into the life of the church that the, the world literally exploded with the gospel in that day and time. And, and I kind of look back and I think, boy, if we just had what they had, and then I read this passage in Hebrews, and I'm reminded that human nature just hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. Did, did you notice what, what the writer of Hebrews has to say here? He says that, that the recipients of this letter are too slow in their learning. Actually, the word here is dull, Dull of hearing. And you got to remember that in, in the first century, most people heard the Bible. Most people didn't have scrolls or parchments. Maybe the church had one. This letter, like the letter of Hebrews, was a circular letter. It passed from church to church to church to church. And if you were going to have a copy of it, you had to hand copy the letter and keep it with you. But that stayed with the church. And so most of the people only heard it read. 
Their hearing is dull, he says. And his, his choice of words is really interesting here. Uh, this is, I, I think it's particularly of interest to me because uh, in, in the last few years, I've lost a great deal of hearing in my left ear. And, and my eardrum appears differently between my two ears. Now, a healthy eardrum, when, when you look at a healthy eardrum, uh, it's, it's almost translucent and it's light reflexive. The, the light will bounce off of it. But a, a hearing impaired eardrum is dull in appearance. It's cloudy and the light will not reflect off of it. That word dull is, is very descriptive of that kind of an image. The writer here is not speaking, of course, of physical ears, but of spiritual ones. But he's saying, you who are hearing this are dull. You're hearing impaired. You're not listening. It's an indictment on their willingness. It's not an indictment on their ability. It's an indictment on their desire and willingness to learn. This is not complimentary. Uh, the word means wetless. It means senselessly forgetful. It, it, it's a word that describes a, a numb limb. You know when you go to sleep at night, maybe you're sleeping on your arm, kind of funny, and you wake up in the middle of the night and your arm's gone to sleep and it's completely numb and it is virtually worthless when you're trying to get out of bed? That's the word he's talking about. It's that kind of a word. It's a word that means you're as lethargic as a stone. You're slothful. A better translation would read it like this. You have become dull, slow learners. The, the implication is that when they first started out, they were pretty excited about their faith, and they grew rapidly, but they reached a point where they got tired or weary or routine in their study, and they just became dull. Something happened. Boy, does that, does that sound familiar to you in any way? I have to guard against that very thing all the time. I suspect you do too. We are also good at rationalizing. Well, I already know that. Or, well, I, I've read that passage dozens of times. I don't need to read it again. Or, I know enough to get by spiritually. You ever thought those things? Maybe verbalize some of those things? Can, like, can I ask you a question? What are you thinking right now while I'm preaching? What's going through your mind? Because I know what it's like to sit where you sit. When I'm listening to a sermon, I'm constantly fighting to keep attention. Because my mind is going like this. I got things to do, calls to make, notes to write, bills to pay, project to build, food to eat, all these things. And, and, and I'm fighting for the concentration. And if the sermon is a little bit dull, you have to fight even harder. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? I, I know you won't hear everything I say this morning. What's more, I know you won't remember everything that you hear. It, it, it is a battle. Now, for some of you who are deep in the faith and have grown throughout your lifetime, my sermons may not seem deep enough. Now, now some of that is by design due to the broad spectrum of faith levels represented in our congregation. I could preach on the contrasting theological differences between the post-dispensational and premillennial views of the parousia and how that might affect how we understand world events that are going on right now. I could preach that, but I, I'm not sure it would be that helpful as you wrestle with relationships tomorrow morning at work or you deal with peer pressure in the classroom at school. 
That's not to minimize the importance of understanding and knowing about the second coming of Christ. But that might be better in a class situation or better yet, in your own personal study as you grapple with what the Word of God says. Here is my fear. Here is my fear this morning. This, for some of you, is the only spiritual food you get all week. And I want, I want you to know, if, if my sermon or whoever happens to be preaching on that day is the only spiritual feeding you're getting this week, you're going to starve to death. You cannot survive on a diet of a lunch at church on Sunday. God has called us to dig deep into his word. I hope I'm way off in what I'm thinking, but I fear I'm not. And if this is all you're getting, you are dull hearers. And I'm a dull hearer if this is all I get. Which brings me to the next point, which we build on it, and it's simply this. Not just be eager to learn, but be eager to learn more is where he goes next in the text. Be eager to learn more so that you can share more. The concept of sharing is one of our core values here at Sherwood Oaks, to share Jesus with others and to help them grow spiritually in their walk with him. Now, now look at verses 12 and 13 again. It says, in fact, though by this time some of you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. The writer of Hebrews here creates the picture of a fat, helpless, spiritual infant. This is not a healthy state. Several years ago, singer Amy Grant popularized a song called Fat Baby. Let, let me just read some of the lyrics to you. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets a spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best, and he gives his language a spiritual rest. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible in John 3.16. Why, he's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's a mama's boy, but he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said, he'll never grow if he never gets fed. Here's the point of Hebrews. There are too many fat babies in the church. <laughs> and I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. Yeah, and the writer here says, you know, after a certain amount of time, you ought to be able to teach. Now, we read that and we kind of panic when we think, I don't do good in front of a classroom. That's not the kind of teaching he's talking about. When you get to a certain point, a certain level in your growth in Christ, you ought to be able to pass that information and that knowledge on to those who are coming behind you, who are newer in the faith. You, 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 I don't care what word you want to use. You can call it mentor or tutor or guide or counsel or apprentice. Choose your favorite word, but that's what we're supposed to do. It's the natural outcome of growing in Christ. When I started into ministry, I, I felt pretty helpless. Even though I'd gone to Bible college, even though I, uh, I was ordained and I had, had a lot of training and ready to go, I felt helpless in dealing with some of the day-to-day -day things. And so what I did was I called older ministers uh, who were just a few years ahead of me down the road in ministry, and I asked them if I could take them to lunch and pick their brain. They were all so willing, and, and, and I grew so much 
because they mentored me. They passed on what they had learned from their experiences, and I'm a better man today because of what they shared with me. As a matter of fact, I still do this with guys. When I have a problem that I'm not, I'm not, not sure how to deal with it, I'll call guys and say, help me out here. What have you learned about this? Because that's what teaching is all about, that we help do that one-on-one. This has become an important area in the life of the church that we sometimes forget is really next to the heart of Jesus. The last words that we have recorded in the book of Matthew that Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended to the Father come, and you're familiar with these, in the last chapter of Matthew, chapter uh, 28, verse 19 and following, and this is what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, making disciples is a teaching process baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There again is a teaching process, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What Jesus said is, is it is our responsibility as we grow to reach back and teach those who are coming so that they will be equipped and healthy spiritually. But if we're stuck in our own infancy, If we're nothing but a spiritual fat baby, how can we help anyone else? The more we feast on the Word of God, the better our appetite for righteousness, living the right way and doing the right thing. That's what righteousness is, making the right choices. If living rightly to please God doesn't matter to you, then I'm going to suggest that you're still an infant Christian. Which brings us to the last part of what he's saying here, and that is be eager to learn more all the time. You know, it's a funny thing. I don't know about you, but I eat every day. Anybody else uh, relate to that? What's more, I never tire of eating. I get kind of excited about lunch and supper and breakfast. I, you know, it's one of the highlights of the day. It's especially so, you know, when, when, you, when you know you're going to have some of your favorite foods or you're going to eat at one of your favorite places. Now, can I tell you everything about every meal I've ever eaten? Well, of course not. I can tell you, though, that my body has survived and has been nourished by every meal I've had. Now, like you, I can remember some those special moments in life, those meals that were important, like birthday meals and holiday feasts and family reunion pitch-ins and homecoming dinners at my grandparents' old church. Some of those I can remember really clearly. And some specific moments in time I remember as if they were yesterday. About three years ago, I'm probably four now, actually, um, I remember eating with a family in Moldova. They didn't have much notice that I was coming. I spoke in a little church um, and um, went home with them to their crumbling apartment building, which had gone all the way back to the Khrushchev era of time. And they put on a wonderful spread. And I sat at one of the two chairs that they had while the rest of the family sat on the floor. It was a delicious meal. It was a simple meal, but it was a delicious meal. But I was oh so touched by the hospitality of this family who did their best for this guest. I'll never forget that meal. I'll never forget a meal I had in Mexico. It's been 40 years, and I can remember it 
as if it were yesterday. It was Sunday after church. I was in Mexico working as a, as a college student with a mission family down there, and that Sunday I was out on my own, and I ate with a Mexican family in their small adobe house, and that day they served me chicken, which was the only meat they'd had either in days or weeks. And I got to pick the piece first that I wanted. I loved chicken, but I could hardly eat it that day because I can remember thinking that what I ate kept them from eating, and they may not have meat again for many days to come. Those are memories that stand out in my mind because there was something special about those meals. There will be some Sundays that will stand out in your mind because they are special. They, they may be moments in time that you'll be able to mark for the rest of your life, and what you learned or what you heard suddenly changed your thoughts or your life. But most of the time, it won't be that way. Most of the time, we will feed together in your daily Bible study, I'm hoping, and, and the classes that you attend and the small group you're a part of will feed you. You won't remember every single one, but you'll still be nourished. After church, Elsie and I will eat. And by evening, believe it or not, I'll be hungry again. I'm going to eat for the rest of my life. More importantly, I need to eat spiritually for the rest of my life. Do you remember what verse 14 says? It says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He's saying you've got to constantly feed yourself this constant use of the Word of God, and that's how you learn good from evil. This is not a hit and miss kind of things. Some of us are starving to death, and we don't even realize it. And while I look forward to eating a meal every day, I should look forward to eating spiritually even more. How else will we know right from wrong? Where else can we turn to understand the difference between good and evil? How will you know what you shouldn't do and what you should do if you don't know what the creator of life has said in his word about the foundations upon which we build and the commandments that we keep? Spiritually speaking, you need to eat well for the rest of of your life. Now, I, I genuinely believe that everyone here wants to do his or her best spiritually, but at times we err and we drop the ball and we don't get it done like we ought to. As a matter of fact, if I didn't give you a little bit more information, I would also drop the ball this morning. You know, we're, we're closing in on the end of the baseball season uh, with the um, World Series coming up in, in a few weeks from now, and uh, Every year, there are new records that are made. I just know that no player wants to be responsible for creating a new record when it comes to errors. Good things, yes, but errors, no. Do you know who holds the record for the most errors on a single play? Not in a single game, a single play. Mike Grady, who played third base for the New York Giants, has held that record for more than 100 years. <laughs> Mike Grady bobbled and dropped an easy grounder to third base. The runner beat him, but he threw to first anyway. 
way over the outstretched arm of the first baseman's glove, which then forced the runner to second, and he rounded second as if he was going to go to third. The first baseman threw the ball to third baseman Mike Grady, who again dropped the ball, allowing the runner to pass third and head for home, to which Mike Grady picked up the ball, threw it to the catcher, and saw it sail up into the stands. <laughs> Four errors on one simple grounder that resulted in a run. Now, I would create grievous errors this morning. I would drop the ball this morning if I ended the sermon right here because I've told you how important it is that we eat spiritually. I just haven't reminded you how. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some things this morning of how we can do this. This, this is not new stuff. This is not earth-shattering. It's stuff that we know, but it is stuff we need to be reminded of. I'm going to give you five quick ways to eat better spiritually. Number one, listen to God's Word. Remember I said the early church listened because they didn't have copies like we do. Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We have the unique capacity today to hear the Bible in a lot of different ways. You can listen to it on your computer. You can listen to it on CDs. You can download apps where you can listen to the Bible. You've got all kinds of ways to listen. There's something about hearing it read that really does help. I'm going to encourage you to start listening to the Word. Number two, read God's Word. Read it out loud. Read it silently. Read it systematically. Develop a plan that works for you. There are scores of plans of read the Bible in a year. There are plans, read the New Testament in 30 days. You can Google that online and, and find all kinds of plans that work for you. Make notes about what you read. Keep a journal that helps. Set a goal to read so many minutes per day. Start reasonably. If you're not accustomed to reading the Bible, don't set a goal to read an hour and a half. Start with five minutes and then build from there. Use Bible commentaries and, and study Bibles that will help you get insight into what you're reading. Hear the Word, listen to God's Word, read God's Word. Number three, memorize God's Word. You'll be amazed at how memorized Scripture will come back to your mind at just the right moment in time. It will help you in your grief, in your stress, in your joy, and in other areas of your life. Don't start with a whole chapter. Start with a small verse. Memorization may be hard for you. It may take long. Do your best, but start with a small. Anybody know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. That's right. Y'all say it with me. Jesus wept. You've got it. There's your first verse memorized if you don't have any committed to memory. Now build from there. All right, start with the shortest. Keep going. And here's the thing. If you memorize it today and you don't say it again for two, three weeks, you're going to lose it. So go over them so that you keep them fresh in your mind. Pick those that are lifeline kinds of scriptures and commit them to memory. Fourth thing, meditate on God's Word. Don't just read it for the sake of reading it, but meditate. Soak it in. Find its meaning. Read it over several times. Uh, read it in different translations, all right, so that you get the picture. And, and, and create mental images when, when you read it. When you're reading the 23rd Psalm, what do you think of when you see the words still water or green pastures? You picture those kinds of things in your mind. It helps you to visualize and personalize it. Insert your name when possible. Ask questions as you meditate. Is there a sin to avoid here? Is there a blessing to count? Is there a promise to celebrate? Is there a command to keep? And the fifth thing is, apply God's Word. 
James writes this in chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. How do I know if I'm getting healthy spiritually? That's easy. Do you look, act, and think more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? If the answer is yes, you're growing. If not, you still might be an infant. Every day, let's eat well.